Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alex Aguilar with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and a higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, health, relationships, and spirituality. And today, we have a very special guest, Kat Moore. Now, Kat was painfully shy in early adulthood, uh, but she is now a speaker, director at, of belonging at USC. And um, she's also the founder of the Belonging Institute, her studio, actually. Uh, and her flagship course, Click, has been taught at USC and many other places, uh, MIT, Department of Defense, uh, faith-based organizations and nonprofits. And her mission is to inspire people to connect throughout the world. And she also has a cat, she just told me. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, uh, it's going to be good. Now, you know, back in the day before the whole introversion uh, thing became popular, I wrote a book actually called The Gift of Shyness. I'm actually a shy person myself. Mm-hmm. And in the book of uh, shyness, I talk about how shy people have some positive traits like uh, extraordinary sensitivity and deep reflection, but they have what we call the self-observer, the self-consciousness part of it, that it makes them shy away. They're afraid of being judged and criticized. Mm-hmm. And uh, your story, I think you mentioned you were very shy, I guess, in high school, you were homeschooled, I guess, because of that. And mm-hmm. then uh, in college, you didn't make many friends. And, and then you started hanging out at coffee shops. And apparently you had some sticker that says, uh, I'm happily married or something, or I love my husband. Don't talk to me or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you uh, started meeting people and developed to be the director of belonging. So tell us that story. This is pretty interesting. Yeah, well, and I I fully agree that shyness can be reconceived as a superpower as well. Um, it's just learning how to embrace it and not let it limit us in, in you know, getting our social needs met. But yeah, I um, grew up in a very small town outside of Pittsburgh, and um, this was in the 80s and 90s when no one even talked about loneliness or mental health or social health or any of these things. So these are all this is all new language um, that we now have. But um, yeah, I just I just really struggled from the time I was little, really, with having more than one friend at a time yes. um, for lots of different reasons. And um through, yeah, I dropped out of high school. Um, I actually got a, an autoimmune condition in high school and it changed my physical appearance. And so um, I was already shy. Mm. And in high school, that's already a difficult age, you know, to to gain confidence and figure out who you are. And mm. um, it was too much for me. So I withdrew. And um, I see this a lot with uh, how physical health conditions can end up affecting how we socialize. Um, and so for me, I withdrew, homeschooled mm-hmm. myself, was very isolated, like you said, through through college. Yes. And then it was um, a long period of time for me of sitting in the same coffee shops in Northeast LA day after day, mm-hmm. getting familiar in the space, getting to you know say hi to the baristas. It took mm-hmm. me a long time to build trust right. in that kind of environment. And then when I was, um, I became a mom, um, then people started breaking the ice with me. So when people see... Uh-huh babies when people see dogs they they approach you right and so then people started approaching me so then it was the next layer of learning to come out of my shell interesting so that's a great icebreaker now would you consider yourself still shy today you know i wouldn't say that i'm shy but i am an introvert so and that pertains to how you get filled up energetically so i do need a lot of alone time but when i'm alone i've learned how to not feel lonely. So there's ways to be alone where you actually feel rejuvenated and connected to yourself versus being alone and feeling lonely, like you don't have anyone or anything. So I'm 
I'm not shy anymore, but um, I am introverted. Okay, that's interesting. We'll talk about that. I have some ideas on that that component. So the idea of loneliness, you you call it uh, being trapped in a snow cone, which I thought was a kind of a nice metaphor. And um, at Love University, we talk about loving ourselves, others, and a higher nature. Mm-hmm. But I think of loneliness as a disconnection from self, others, or a higher nature. And then you talk about loneliness as causing uh, mental and psychological, physical problems. One of our missions actually here is to help people deal with their loneliness and be connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about statistics like, I think you said, is um, in 29 countries, uh, one in three adults say they're lonely. And uh, it can consider it could cause early death. Um, it's up to 25%. Yes. And this is kind of sad. Two out of three seniors, they say their best uh, maybe company is a, t- a television. Yeah. So I even saw a relationship Netflix commercial. The guy said, oh, I have a new relationship. And it was actually Netflix. So we're talking about uh, yeah. that, you know, this is kind of uh, yeah. interesting. So how do you view that idea of reframing loneliness? You even say, instead of eradicating it, you say you want to befriend it. Uh-huh. How does that work? Yeah, I think there's a, so much um, language in, in at least Western culture that when you're met with a problem, you try to annihilate it. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> so the, the war language, the ending things, um, in, in this case, loneliness is a signal. It's a, it's your body's telling you, your mind is telling you, your heart is telling you, you have an unmet need. Right. So when you have an unmet need, you listen to it and you try to meet it. You Mm. don't try to make it stop. So Uh if you're hungry, you don't say, stop that. We need to eradicate hunger. Right. You say, we need to get you a sandwich. Yes. Definitely. Right. And so with, with loneliness, um, oh, I'm feeling lonely. First of all, having awareness that what you're experiencing mm-hmm. has a name. I ha- I'm experiencing loneliness. There's a reason for it. I wonder what that is and be yes. curious about that in a non-judgmental way. Say, how can I help myself get this very normal and basic human need met? What's available to me in my real life? How can I move towards that? Um, and then take the steps that you can. Okay, yeah. I mean, a lot of the older literature, when they talk about attra- law of attraction, prosperity, affirmation, they, they always say, talk about what you want, not what you don't, ha- uh, what you have that you don't want, because that way you'll attract more of it. So you're saying- yeah, absolutely. Of, and yeah. I think, but being being able to have the ability to pause and identify what you're even experiencing, and if it's loneliness, if it's a yeah. kind of suffering or deprivation, mm-hmm. being able to sit with that long enough to at least extend compassion to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right to hold that before you jump into right. okay, how do I create belonging or how do I create more meaningful connection? Right, so because, loving yourself, as we're saying, in a self-compassionate way. Yes. Beginning, and then yes. you can extend that love outward. Mm-hmm. And the other thing uh, we talk a lot about connection. Uh, you belong, kind of thing. Uh huh. Say it's our birthright genetically. You know, we'll have belly buttons, so we're obviously coming for interdependence from someone else. And you had a baby too, I think, at the time. Or yes. preg- you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. All the stuff kind of uh, indicates that we need this. And uh, there's a power of intentional presence. You mentioned that. What does that mean, intentional presence? Yeah. So, well, in, intentionality, you know, that's that's to me the the core of what is, makes us human is that we have uh, ability to make choices and to organize our energy and our time towards certain things and not towards others. And um, how we choose to show up, how much of ourselves we choose to bring into any situation we're in um is what is the real like battery power in any of our um engagements with each other that can make them meaningful or 
non-meaningful, just transactional. So if we're intending to bring our whole self into riding an elevator with someone, into talking to the barista, let alone into our, you know, conversations around a dinner table or a board boardroom, ta- you know, table, um, how much of ourselves are we willing to bring? And the quality of our presence in any given interaction is going to determine what's possible for that interaction. Yes. One thing that helped me a lot, and I recommend this to our listeners, is um, improvisational acting classes. Yes, improv. Because, uh, there are many ways to that it helps. One way is, uh, you know, seize the space. You enter a room in different ways, uh, different emotions, and you kind of become a bigger person, and you kind of capture the audience. And I think you even mentioned improv is a powerful, um, you know, interaction, you know, going back and forth spontaneously. Uh, yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we have to be real careful in the time that we live in with so much communication being digitally mediated mm-hmm. or uh, also um, asynchronous, right? So not happening in real time. Mm-hmm. That skill set, that improv skill set also of being able to say yes and, yes, right, no, to, no, to whatever's no. happening, to yes. be able to have a spirit of, well, this is happening. It may not be what I want to have happen or what I thought was going to happen, but this is the reality. Like you took some improv too, it sounds like. Well, I ha- uh, I'm a mom, so everything's improv. <laughs> well, we said yes and, that's a classic, you know, improv. Yeah, part. yes and. <laughs> so being able to help, it, it's actually it's a freeing it. principle for students who get real real hung up in, but what if I say this and sound this way? Or what right. if this happens? A uh-huh. lot of fear prevents us from being present yes. to just rolling with whatever's happening and being able to say, oh, well, no one knows. We're going to have to figure it out by being present. Exactly. So it, yeah. that is that is the principle of interpersonal communication. Yes. I have an exercise in the Shina's book. I said, get the fools out. So in your bathroom, you start dumping up and down and act crazy. And then it kind of eliminates the fear of being a fool in public because you kind of are already a fool in a sense. Certainly. So you, like, you get out of the, that fear because basically it's all, a lot of it's about fear of looking bad or being rejected or you know not exactly. being enough. Well, that's the, core, that's the core fear of human life is if you're rejected, you can't survive on your own. Yes. So even even if that fear gets blown up in our minds, like literally, if I if I just make a um, verbal faux pas, that shouldn't get me excommunicated from the tribe, but yes. it can feel like that in our bodies and in our minds. Yes. So you need some safe places and safe people to yes. practice being a fool with before you go and really full on <laughs> let it all hang out with your boss or with your you know professor or whomever it is. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. And the other thing is, you said that. We should be open to different kind of friends. So maybe you have your bowling buddy or have some other friend. Uh, now I did write a book, uh, Love Types, on Myers-Briggs compatibility and love relationships, and I'm kind of uh, interested in the application here in romance. You know, I don't know if you talk about dating or you know finding mm-hmm. the right compatible partner mm-hmm. because typically similarities uh, do best in long-term relationships uh, based on research. So how do you advise people on that aspect? Let's say they want to find their soulmate or compatible partner in this way. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not my it's not my um, specialty, but the way I approach those sorts of um, relationships is I I really just help people go back to basics and say what are the um, commonalities across any kind of relationship that are going to make it healthy. So you don't have a different set of well, in a romantic relationship, it's okay if someone's disrespectful to me, um, and in friendships, it's not okay, right? So there's like basic indicators of healthy relationships. So does this person make you feel okay about yourself? Does this person make you feel safe? Do you make this person feel safe? 
and heard? Do you, you do you help? Do you complement each other? Do you, um, these sorts of things? I just bring romantic relationships back to really a, a friendship foundation right. of of healthy relating. And then, you know, once that's in place, I think it becomes clearer what is like a specifically romantic issue or something like that. But most of the time when they think they have a romantic issue, it's really a friendship level issue mm. that's just manifesting in a romantic relationship that feels yeah. a lot, a lot uh, higher stakes and amped up because there's all these hormones now involved. Right, right. Also, maybe a long-term future, you know, family and children and the whole, you know, long-term connection. Now, I, you, sure. you struck me as a little bit of an INFP. I don't know if uh, on the Myers Briggs. Have you? Oh, are you trying to guess my Myers Briggs? I guess I was. Yeah, you're Is one it? letter off. INFJ. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a unicorn. <laughs> you're on time and uh, structured, but you definitely are imaginative, emotional, and internal energy. It sounds like. Thank you. Yes. You, okay. You got it. So you're the mystic writer. They call you. So you're. Oh, I call you. So you're um, interested in a mission life crusade and. Uh, spirituality, I imagine, is important to psychology and that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I feel so known, Dr. Avila. Thank you. <laughs> so you're probably, you could be a great therapist or a listener, I guess, because you have that ability. Are you, are you, you. You're kind of a counselor too, right, for the students. So I imagine you you play that role a little bit. Yeah, I, I think of myself more as a cheerleader and a coach um, and brainstorming buddy mm-hmm. because I particularly am interested in occupying non-therapeutic space. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe so much in the power of um, good therapy, therapeutic relationships, but yeah. I want to translate a lot of those skills um, into other spaces in a non-therapeutic way. So yeah, I, a lot of probably 90% of what I do with students is I listen, listen. Okay. I encourage them and That's I empower them to, to just believe in them to take the next steps in their own life. That's awesome. That's really good. Now, you also mentioned an interesting term. You say, make yourself tappable. Like I'm thinking if someone taps you on the shoulder, does that mean like putting yourself out there where people can meet you kind of thing? Or what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I know people have all kinds of different personal space boundaries and, you know, that's influenced by a lot of different things. But uh, and especially post-COVID, when you couldn't get six feet within anyone mm-hmm. for public health reasons, it's kind of messed with all of um are ways that we physically engage uh, in relationships. Right. But yeah, in general, the idea is to make yourself available. So even if you don't feel like you can proactively get yourself into a meetup or something, a, a group, or that's just too much for you, somehow find a way to put yourself in public spaces, um, whether that's online or in person. In person is always preferable, but if you don't have access to that um, online, so that people who, uh, Ha- who feel really resourced and are looking to reach out to people and include them and make friends can find you. That's nice, yeah. One thing you also mentioned is to extend like um, a loving thought toward others. And I call it extend loving energy without expectation. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of like being like the sun, you know, the sun shines on everyone. Yeah, exactly. Cover up. They don't like the sun, but the sun doesn't take it personal. They just keep shining. Mm-hmm. Some people love the sun. So, um, and you say smile and, Say hi and stuff like that. Also, do you consider sincere compliments also a good way? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the right word. Sincere, sincere. Exactly. That's you need the modifier, right? Because people don't want to be BSed. Um, You can feel it. You can feel when someone means something and when they don't. You know, and yeah. So become be kind of becoming the kind of person who's looking for the good in others and looking to reflect that back to them. Right. Again, the, the underlying aspect of people are kind of afraid of each other. Um, I'm not good enough. 
I'm out of their league, you know, stuff, you know, especially in, in romantic relationships. So what is your advice on that aspect uh, in dealing with the fear part of it, that they're afraid of that, you know, judgment yeah. and rejection? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, whenever there's like a big and negative emotion or big and hard emotion, um, like that sort of fear, I think it's really important to pay attention to it and kind of give yourself some space to take a step back and ask yourself where that fear is coming from. Um, and often it's coming from we've had bad experiences in our past where people did reject us or did make us feel less than. And so to be able to say, I, I know where this is coming from and I don't necessarily want to bring this into my next situation um, and, and be afraid that that person, it, you know, is going to repeat the pattern um, and then be able to tell yourself the opposite. Well, the fact is I am good enough. And then that way, when if if someone is to reject you on some level, you have more stability to be able to say, well, that person did not perceive my worth. Mm. So you don't let other people tell you whether you're good enough or not. Yes, right. But if they show you with their behavior that they can't see it, mm. then you bless them and you mm. say they're not for me. Yes, they can't I, see it. Yeah, I like the blessing part, you know, because you want to keep the energy positive. Mm -hmm. opposed to feeling, you know, your an animosity. Right. Now, the other thing is interesting. Uh, you mentioned introversion. So 50% of people consider themselves introvert or up to 50% uh, mm. currently in the U.S. And the idea that it has to do with energy. So you could be, uh, I'm not that way today, I think a non-shy introvert. So I can go out and talk to a lot of people, but then I get tired. I need to recharge my batteries and take a hot tub. Yeah. Uh, but I'm kind of picturing you almost as a shy extrovert because you're saying you're in coffee shops all the time. I would never want to be in a coffee shop. I'd rather mm -hmm. be in the relaxed part of my home because mm -hmm. there's too much noise and too much people. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, classify that? Were you actually a shy introvert or, or a shy extrovert, do you think? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because in certain um, in certain loud, bright environments, I right. also am like, whoa, I need a tablespoon of that and then I'm out. Yes. It's it's right. too right. much. It's too much. Right. Coffee shop environments for me are soothing. Mm. Um, for me, they're, that's background noise. It feels like a neutral space. I'm mm. a writer and a thinker. And so wow. I like that that sort of atmosphere. Right. But what, why not be in your, home, in your home studio? Why go outside? Because introverts like to stay home usually. You know, they like yeah. the, the cocoon. What was no, it about? I, I think for me, um, there's also a danger with introverts, uh, introverts, and also just people who have very um, isolated work, like writers, yes, you know, um, and artists, where you become unbalanced and you're around yourself too much, and you're overthinking and you're obsessing, and right. so I think there needs to be some kind of counterbalance where you remind yourself, I'm yes. part of a larger whole. There are other people who might need me that I have a responsibility towards right. there's things that, uh, that I could discover just right. by being out in the world that I need um, to infuse my writing or my, you know, my inner life. So I think part of it was an attempt to count, you know, balance out. I don't want to just sit at home by myself with my cat all day, every day. Um, well, that's too much. I was going to say that now here's a, a little advocate uh, opposite viewpoint. Let's say that, and by the way, I like to use the term internal energy. So I'm an internal energy person. Introverts have, you know, connotation. And I love being alone. I do have my dog over here. I have a, one friend I talk to once in a while, and I'm perfectly content. Why should I have to go out to Starbucks all day or talk to people as much? How do you respond to that part of it? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, no one's making you do anything. We're all free agents. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think it's, um, there's, there's, I, I personally feel like we have an obligation to each other. Um, and so I think 
part of it is I could be content possibly having a very, very small Mm. um, nest of relationships Mm. that make me feel good um, and that I live through. But then I think there's always the question, the existential question on all of us of what are you willing to give up for others? And so I think it kind of moves beyond just a more selfish idea of what what's good for me, what fills me up to, okay, who else is hungry? Who else is lonely? Who else needs a friend? And I think that pulls us out of, yes, we need to take care of ourselves, but that should then spill into, you know, how then can I share what I have with others? Very interesting. Yeah, that's a reversal of idea. But I think the key is, I mean, you might want to streamline it to say we have the non-shy introverts, you might have ambiverts, we might have shy extroverts. So some of them may have different, uh, like you said, um, needs or maybe abilities or energy, you know, for mm-hmm. certain environments. Do you do that as well? Do you kind of classify that? Or do you say overall uh, one program for everybody? No, there's no one anything for anyone. Everything is unique. Um, and I think that that's Um, the joy and the responsibility of each of us is to figure out in each season of life, um, given who we are, given what our responsibilities are, given what our capacities are, our interests are, how does this look in my life? So it, you know, how I operate might look different today than it does in five years from now, let alone across individuals. So I think the idea, the image um, of wholeness for me is, is of a nest of relationships that has both breadth to it you have different kinds of relationships um, with different kinds of people, and then there's depth to them. It's fine to have a bunch of people that you just, all you do is you say hi to them as you're walking your dog down. down. You don't have to ask them how their soul is and get their whole medical history and be their best friend, but you do need to have relationships of of depth as well um, through time and change that you you really can exchange life with. That's a good point. So different ranges of relationship. By the way, I just saw your your finger. I like that color. That's oh, my, thank you. That's my favorite. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a blue guy. Oh, yeah. It's, it's sky blue. It's where it's at. Yeah, that's my favorite. What's, what's your favorite color or do you have one? You know, my little boy just asked me that the other day. Um, usually it's brown and white, which is not oh, typical. But okay. So you just like something about uh, those colors. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, you do have an interesting program. And like the term you use, you call it click. So I'm thinking like clicking with somebody. And then you have certain um, words that go with it. So you talk about um, connection. I think you said um, is one is also be present. Uh, listen, listen first. Mm-hmm. Uh, investigate without judgment. Uh, communicate kindness, which I guess give, give people the parking space that you're rushing to get or something like that, right? And give them a chance. And sure. then fo- follow up. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking of this, and I see two elements. I see slowing down, and I'm seeing empathy. And I think you mentioned that in some of your stuff. Uh, slowing down is probably hard for Southern Californians and maybe other people. You're in your car, you're on your cell phone, you're doing this and that. So how do we get people to slow down? And have empathy to do these the clicks. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. The the slowing down is a precondition to mm-hmm. to connecting uh, mm-hmm. meaningfully. Um, and yeah, the orientation towards others is one of empathy, um, mm-hmm. openness, care. Um, so how do you get people to slow down? Well, I guess there's things that you could you could structure your environments or your workplaces to reward people who slow down. But just the idea of doing that, I mean, we put speed bumps on the road to stop people from crashing and burning. 
What would it look like to design spaces or curriculums or workplaces that intentionally force people to slow down enough to be able to connect well with each other? Um, But we don't do that. What we do value is speed. We value productivity, speed, beating each other. None of those (laughs) help us relate well. Um, And so slowing down, what you do is if it's a challenge for people, you, you, like any habit change, you start small and you start with a habit they already have and you try to change it just a little bit. So Mm. for example, in the coffee shops, I don't say, hey, go sit there for three years I say, hey, you're already there for three minutes while your coffee brews. You're just going to work in three-minute increments. Mm. See how you can connect in three minutes, and then you're out. So, And then once people have a positive experience, it will build on itself. Then they'll want to because it'll be in their body and in their memory. Oh, that was was easy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, kind of micro-interactions, I think you call it a little smile, a hi. Yes. So like even working out, you know, I'm going to go to the gym for 15 minutes, and then we'll see what happens, and you build it up. Because you feel yes. the endorphins and the pleasure from it, and, and you're making gains, right? Um, I do recommend you get this guy, uh, Carl Honore. Have you heard of him? He's the um, he's a pioneer uh, pioneer of the, of the slow movement. Oh, the worldwide movement, and it started in Italy to enjoy uh, longer meals. You know, European mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, and actually, it's a movement now. Actually, worldwide, how to slow I down. Love and, that. So that'd be kind of cool um, when you do that if you if you get that, because I think I that's that. a big part of what you're saying, right? It's slowing down to yeah. talk to people, right? Because people. Yeah. Don't have you know they think they don't have time to do it right, right. and uh, yeah it's, and and being able to to just continually have this issue raised you know to to, to challenge people in a in a in a novel and exciting way I don't think people mm. respond well to the, you should be doing this and you mm. have to do this no one likes that mm. but if you show them examples of like look what can happen if you do just this tiny thing you can get people excited to at least try something once. And that, then I think it it you know has an energy of its own, right? And also, you mentioned listening. I think uh, our personality. I'm similar to you and uh, Myers Briggs, except I'm more more spontaneous. I think uh, is to listen. You said without judgment, and you said listening is the closest thing to be feeling loved. And I guess people go to therapy, you know, for this kind of experience, right? Where someone's finally listening to you without trying to say something back immediately in their head. Yeah. Uh, so that's the talent. I guess it's important to develop. Yeah, listening is the core skill set in terms of, I don't just work with like a skill-based mentality, but if people are looking for like really practical skill-based things that they can go out and test and try and do, it's always centering first on listening. And that's listening to ourselves, uh, listening to the person in front of us, and then listening to the context that we're in. And that in and of itself is just the most complex um, endeavor uh, and it's one that you never master. You're always having to show up with the same um, intention, and then you develop, you know, capacity, and you get better attuned, and you gain practical wisdom over time. But listening is never something that we check off the box. I can tell you're a pretty good listener uh, just by listening to. You know. Oh well, thank you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're pausing and and you know giving a little space for uh, me to talk and then you to talk. And uh, the other thing, uh, I think, um, talking about follow-up. Now, this is something I may not do as much as I should. I mean, I meet people that I may not follow up. So what's the importance of that, you know, calling or emailing people that you've met in terms uh-huh. of you know, the connection part? Well, we live in a hyper-connected society. You know, oh, most people are actually over-connected. Uh-huh. That's true. Um, but the nature of the connection isn't 
meaningful. So <laughs> we're hyper connected. So the the follow up or the keeping in touch piece um, has to do with making sure, like if you have a house plant, you can't just water it once. Right. No matter right, no matter how good of a connection you have with someone when you meet them at a networking event or in the neighborhood, wherever it is, um, the nature of relationship is that it's a living organism that has to be fed and nurtured and developed. And you need a regularity in order for that bonding to take place um, well. And so generally I advise students, you know, for example, if you're if you went to a party and you met a bunch of new people. And there was a couple people that you really, you know, felt some kind of connection with that you think that there's something there to unpack or develop. Um, try to get on a weekly rhythm of connecting with them mm-hmm. in person. Go take a walk together, you know, th- to have that weekly rhythm. And that's a lot of how our, our world is organized. If you think about church services, for example, they're weekly. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of things baked in that have that weekly rhythm. And that just helps people stay um form the bond to a sufficient degree as well as continue to track with each other's lives. Mm-hmm. But you think that's feasible in our freeway society? I'm talking about something in California, LA, where people live far away and they're always on the move to get together in person. And what do you think of Zoom? Is Zoom uh, an alternative or do you think it's better in person? Everything's better in person because we're not made out of pixels. We're made out of skin and bones um, as well as some other immaterial junk, I think. But um, so we need embodied experiences. Um, But also we don't live in a utopia. We have to work with what we have. So if your anchor people, like three of my best friends, one lives in London, one lives in Hawaii, and one lives in North Carolina. How do you do that? You must travel a lot? I never travel. So (laughs) with these relationships, well, one of the women in North Carolina, I grew up with her. Oh. Another I spent several years with. Right. So I had in-person relationships. And I think mm-hmm. once you've built an in-person relationship, it's a lot easier oh, to, to sustain it right. long distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you work with what you have. But I think, you know, if you have a, a regular rhythm of talking to someone weekly or biweekly or something, you still need in your, you know, day-to-day life to have some people you are spending time with in person. So what what number would that be? Let's say an internal energy person over here, and then have an external energy. Is it the same amount? I think you mentioned three to five friends. Is that a for both, or would it be different variations? That that's that does not change with whether you're introverted or extroverted in terms of people that you're meaningfully connected with, who you really feel like you have a reciprocal relationship with, all the good things in person, weekly on a weekly basis. Yeah. Now, you know, I think what changes my guess would be for, for introverts versus extroverts is um, the other layers of your nest, people you just hang out with, people you do right. activities with, th- right. that probably changes. Probably extroverts can handle way more of those sorts 100, of 100 people, you know, that you know. Group. Yeah. Group things. Right. Introverts are like, whatever. I've got my five people. Okay. And then I have like a, maybe one other tier that I see monthly or something like that. Right. How about you? How many would you say you have of, of the of the core and then the external people? Yeah, it's actually changed dramatically since COVID because mm-hmm. I had hundreds of people um, through the coffee shop. But once coffee co- coffee shop culture was destroyed through COVID, uh-huh. that really changed my own nest. Oh. Um, so I definitely have the, I'd say I have three like best friends. 
And then I have extremely close relationships with my parents who are in Pennsylvania and my brother. Family counts if you have a a child or something or no? Family counts. Oh, okay. As as opposed to just friends in general, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So has the coffee thing been destroyed? I I have a friend of mine in the restaurant business. He says things have not really recovered, but now they're recovered. Are people still going out? I mean, I don't have data on that, but you know, I can only speak for my own neighborhood, really, and 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 my campus. But um, it's not recovered, uh, and I don't know if it ever will. It's mm. it's very odd um, how it how it's unrolled. People just don't really want to linger, and oh. don't really want to meet new people. And right. I don't you know. Getting if that's lazy like- or during the COVID, like you know, you can order at home. You don't have to even go anywhere. Everything comes to you, or just you know, staying at home. Does that become a pattern, you think, psychologically? That, and I think there's also still just um, fear probably stuck in our brain stems of, I might get something right. that from someone who, who th- that, wasn't, that wasn't present before. Right. So there's different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, on the, on the positive side, uh, you know, the idea of uh, spirituality is, is interesting. And I'm kind of curious about your, your spiritual uh, belief or system. Um, years ago, I read this book that I thought was really wonderful, and uh, it was called Celebration of the Disciplines. I didn't even know that this guy was at USC, and apparently he's your mentor, uh, Dallas Willard. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you read that book, uh, that one. Yeah, I read them all, collected them all. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks about the different spiritual disciplines to get you to this point of like, a spiritual you know, actualization. Uh, he mentions like uh, prayer, simplicity, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. He also mentioned solitude. Now, solitude may go a little bit against what you're saying, but how do you incorporate solitude in this thing? Yeah, no, solitude is a really good, a really good um, distinction. So, solitude is a practice that's chosen um, in order to, you know, develop certain kind of capacity, um, sure, spiritually, um, morally, j- mental health wise. Um, and the idea of solitude, and this this cuts across um, really any religious yeah, tradition, yeah. Um, right? And uh, even non-religious tradi- traditions, just spiritualities and cultural practices. Um, and the idea is to be able to unhook from the world and from relationships with other people in order to have what's really going on in the depths of your soul have a chance to surface. Um, and, but it's supposed to be in, in balance with disciplines of community Hmm. so that you don't just get service probably as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's the the two distinctions with any kind of spiritual discipline are ones that are disengaging and ones that are engaging. Mm -hmm. And so you need to have a balance of both. So you need solitude in order to let what's in you come up and meet it. And if you meet it with a higher power, if you, um, meet it in your environment with the trees, you're, um, you're unhooking in order to rehook more deeply into yourself so that when you go back into community, um, you have a more authentic uh, self to offer. You yes. have hopefully bound better boundaries, all of these things. And then it's a rhythm of engagement and disengagement. So they really, they really need each other. So we don't just want to talk about social connection. We want to talk about how to be alone. Well, Right. So yin and yang, kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, uh, actually, he was ahead of his time. He talked about simplicity. Yes. Okay? That's a big issue, you know, like minimalizing, you know, all the clutter and all that stuff. Um, I think the lady, uh, Japanese lady, have you heard, read her book about clutter? 
Yeah, Marie Kondo. Mar- yeah, kind of, yeah, totally, that's pretty interesting, spiritual stuff. Now, he was a Christian, I believe. Well, uh, do you have a path, a uh, spiritual path? Yeah. No, I practice in the same tradition as Dallas oh, did. Um, and I also, um, so I practice in the Christian tradition, but I also have just involved over time practices from all kinds of traditions and um, cultures and uh, the arts. And so that's the tradition I was raised in. And that continues to be a source of um, enormous uh stability and inspiration to me and being in an office of religious life where there's so many different worldviews represented and it's um, just such an enriching environment to be learning um, with and from so many different kinds of traditions. Right. I think Jesus summarized it. He says, uh, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if we just did that, the world would be a different place. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what you're doing with uh, the connectivity and all this stuff. that's what I'm hoping. Is putting the love out there. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show. This has been wonderful to connect with you at this level. Uh, but we've got to do it in person now because you told me Zoom is not enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, no, I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. Are you, do you ever get out to work? I mean, workshops or events? Maybe we can collaborate or something in the future. I would, yeah, let me know. That would be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm based in L.A., but I can and will travel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, collaborations where everything's at. and. And yeah, that that's the goal is that to you know to just get um, to be with as many people as possible and, and get out of the house. You're, you're saying, get out, get out of the house. Yes, <laughs> excellent. And now you have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, where can people get a hold of you, your projects, and things you're doing? Yeah, I love hearing from people. Um, so the easiest is to contact me through my website, which is cat morecom um, I get all of those emails directly and. Primarily, my work um, that I'm available for to to collaborate with people is around speaking right now, both remote and in person. Um, so I, I do some consulting, but I'm I'm really trying to to to, to move more towards speaking. And I have a book that's going to hopefully be coming out oh. soon uh, called "You Belong." I'm working on that, and um, I have a podcast that's in the works, mm. and then I have a Substack that they uh, that if anyone wants to is a reader and wants to um, engage that way, uh, you can sign what, what up. What is a Substack? What is that? Oh, a Substack is my newsletter. So oh, that, okay. that's also on my website if you want to uh-huh. sign up for that. And I send them out about weekly. I see. I heard something about an application where people are rewarded for being connected. Is that something yeah. you're working on too? Yeah. So we're developing an app called Rehuman that is um, <laughs> trying trying to nudge people towards pro-social behaviors and like a fun um you know, not heavy, not therapeutic kind of way. So we're redesigning it because COVID happened and it changed wow. everything, but we're going to have guided journals and card decks and, and things like that to just- brownie points for going uh, to a Starbucks or something or to get out of the house? All of that kind of stuff. And it's supposed to be like real user directed. So, you know, a lot of creativity and um, fun is the goal. Fantastic. And tell us your website one more time, Kat. Sure. Kat dot, oh, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, I'm forgetting my own website. Uh, cat-more.com. Cat-more.com. And by the way, is your cat there? We can see the cat. I'm in my office at USC. Oh, right now, so okay. my cat's at home, uh, probably yes. about to roll her eyes at me uh, that I'm not back now, soon. We didn't mention animals as a support. What do you think of that? Is that good too, to have emotional support from animals? I mean, everyone, every campus. I mean, it's not a human, so it's not not like a human thing. Right? Every every campus should have at least uh, a dozen golden retrievers. I, is I got one of those. <laughs> you, you like the goldens? 
the goldens are the best, but you know, any rescue, I also support all the rescue animals. Okay. But yeah, no, for people who, um, connecting with other people is too much of an ask for whatever reasons, start connecting with animals, start connecting with nature, start wherever you can, and then, then get filled up by that layer. And then that'll give you enough energy to, to risk the connecting with us. Plus if you have an animal, uh, they people talk to you, right? You have an icebreaker and all that. That's right. And it's so That's cute. Right. And also, you, who knows, maybe you join a, a dog group or, or a cat group or something at some point. All of that. <laughs> all right, Kat, it's been a pleasure. It's wonderful having you on the show. And I uh, look forward to seeing you again uh, very soon. Thank you so much, Doctor. Alex time, this is Dr. Alex Avila, Love University. Have a wonderful day. So that was a great interview live at the Los Angeles Book Festival at USC. We had an amazing time. And this is a great opportunity to interview these wonderful authors and people that have a message that's going to help others. So love university students. If you want to be on the show in the future, or if you have a show idea, and want to comment on today's show, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. You can write to us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. You can visit us at loveuniversitylove. You can also download the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Love Letter U Podcast. And you can also go to our YouTube channel, Love University. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avila. It's time to put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones, and class is now dismissed. Love yourself, others, and the higher nature. Until next time.